Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, hey everybody, how are you doing this morning? Hope you're good, good, good. I hope you had a great week and uh, thank you for being here and sharing part of your weekend with us here at Temple. Maybe some of you are returning from last weekend. We're delighted to have you. Also want to give a shout out to those who are joining us online from wherever you may be watching uh, this morning. I do want to say a special thank you uh, to our regular church family. I, I really believe you, you knocked it out of the park uh, last week and I really believe God was uh, honored in, in what happened uh, last weekend. Uh, nearly 1,700 people here over the three services over the weekend, and uh, all the reason is because, well, you invited friends and family and neighbors and co-workers and colleagues, and uh, so I just wanted to say thank you for investing in relationships uh, that really matter to you. Today, we're starting a brand new series called Messy. Everyone knows life gets messy, and that is not going to be changing anytime soon. And whether you're religious or not. We've all been there, or are in one, or one decision away uh, from a mess. And believe me, I know a mess when I see a mess, because I've been in lots of messes uh, in my life. And, uh, but one of the things I am learning is that no matter how, how messy life gets, God is still good. God is still good, even in the midst of mess. So here's the truth. Life is messy, and maybe because of the decision that we made, or maybe today you're super blessed, because you're like in between messes. You just cleared up a mess a couple months ago, but we all know that we're just one bad decision away from getting into a, another mess. And sometimes we like to comfort ourselves in our messy situations because we look at someone else who has a bigger mess than us, and so it makes us kind of feel good for a short term. Uh, but it really doesn't offer a lot of comfort. You know, sometimes I think as Christians, as followers of Jesus, those who claim to be a follower of Jesus, so often we like to hide our mess. We don't like to give the impression that we don't have our life in full control and, and very orderly. You know, we don't like people to see the messy side oftentimes. We, we like to come and um, tidy up ourselves and make ourselves look a little more impressive when we come to church. Or sometimes we just stay away until the mess gets all cleared up. But when we do that, I, I don't know, I, I feel like we do a disservice to the gospel because sometimes I think we give the impression that God just came to make us look clean and nice and really you know God came more than just to make us look spiffy <laughs> he made us he came to make us new even in the mess and new doesn't mean perfect and new often means messy new looks like sometimes a recovering alcoholic New looks like uh, reconciling family members who, who maybe don't really deserve it. New is admitting that you're wrong when you're wrong and not mentioning it when you're right. New is God reaching down in the mess of humanity and kind of resurrecting us from sometimes the graves that we have dug for ourselves, maybe because of you know, our own selfishness or lying or uh, addictions or arrogance, you know. That's where God just keeps loving on us and, uh, until he brings us back to life again. Well, this week, as we we're trying to think of all the different areas that we could deal with when it talks about mess, because there's, there's messy you know, marriages and messy finances and messy churches. And, and so today we decided we would start off with messy relationships. I would dare say that all of us 
No matter how young you are or how old you are, we've all have experienced messy relationships. And in fact, maybe you're experiencing one right now. Uh, maybe your, your relationship with your spouse is a little messy. Or maybe your relationship is a little messy with the in-laws. Or maybe it's a little bit messy with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your dad, or your mom, or a close friend, or a co-worker, or a neighbor, or a pastor, or a church member. Messy relationships can be found in all walks of life. And one of the things that uh, I've discovered, I think you know this to be true, in messy relationships, there's always lots of drama. You know what I'm saying? I can't believe you said that. Well, you know what he told me. I was a loser. What? What did you say? Well, I told him there's two losers in this room. You're one of them. You know, the drama that gets built up in messy relationships. You know, we all know the cheer. I got drama. Yes, I do. You got drama. Yes, you do. We got drama. How about you? Right? I think we all know what it's like to have drama in relationships. And it seems as though... Some drama can be unavoidable, and some are not so much. Uh, I think of, you know, I think families sometimes have unavoidable drama and messy relationships. You know, like, where are we going to spend the holidays, Christmas, at my parents or at the in-laws, right? Or are we going to stay home and start our own new traditions, and so some things are just unavoidable. They, they, just, they just happened. And, and so many relationships that get messy because lots of times there's just drama, drama, drama. So I got thinking, what is drama? What is it? So I looked up at the Webster Dictionary. Good place to start. This is what they say drama is. They say it's an exciting, emotional, or unexpected series of events or set of circumstances. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think everyone is thinking, ooh, it's an exciting set of circumstances. I don't think any middle schooler that's going through drama is, oh, it's really exciting. Or a high school, or a college student, or someone going through single life, or married life, or divorced life, or second marriage life, or blended families. Like when there's drama, we don't look at it, well, it's an exciting set of circumstances. So as I was thinking that, how, where could we get a better perspective of of what drama is. And so if you, if you really want to know what, what meanings of words are and the culture that we live in, the source of authority is the Urban Dictionary. Anybody ever gone to the Urban Dictionary? That tells you what people are thinking on the streets. And, and everyone can kind of can come along and, and add their, to their definitions. And so... I'm going to give you a definition from the Urban Dictionary what drama means. Now, I just want to say, I did not add to any of this. This is not me. And ladies, please do not be offended with me. I'm just reading what's in the Urban Dictionary. They describe drama as something women, especially teenage girls, thrive on. Okay. Now, guys, we know we have drama. We just oftentimes express it a little bit differently. But here, the thing is, the definition continues. 
something women and especially teenage girls thrive on, consisting of any number of situations that have an easy solution which would bring a fairly good outcome. But it doesn't end there. Oh, but it continues. But these girls choose another, I couldn't say that word, bad way to deal with it, consisting of backstabbing, blackmailing, gossiping, and betraying their friends. That's drama. And a lot of that happens, doesn't it, when relationships get a little bit messy. And then the Urban Dictionary gives a couple examples. Here's an example they give. I want to break up with him, but still love him. It drives men and normal girls nuts. I thought, I wonder what a normal girl is, like when I was reading that definition. All the drama that can get in messy relationships. Like, why did, I, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I have to bring that up? Why were they invited to this party? Why did I agree to have drinks with him after work? How did I convince him? How did I let him convince me to spend the night in the apartment again? The drama. Messy relationships have a lot of drama. And what I've discovered, because it's happened to me, messy relationships can suck the life right out of you. Others you can maybe just annoy, uh, uh, ignore. But some suck the life out of you. And maybe, maybe there's some of you here this morning who have experienced a messy relationship. Maybe you had a dad who just walked out on you and the family. And honestly, it's, it's, it's a messy relationship. Or, or maybe you had a dad who was quite abusive and you wished he would walk away. Or, or maybe you had a, a mother who was an alcoholic and and didn't give you the affection that you craved you know, as a child growing up. As some of you have experienced when your spouse has cheated on you and leaves you. And everything gets really, really messy. What does one do? I mean, how do you get past when relationships get really, really messy? Because if we're not careful, what happens is we lock ourselves into a prison some of these messy relationships. Now, sometimes I know what I want to do, but it's not legal in some of the messy relationships that I find myself in. And so this week, I'm reading a passage of Scripture found actually in the book of Romans. Now, for those who maybe have studied the book of Romans, uh, Romans is kind of more known to be a, a, a book of theology. You know, that's where you find those big words. Sanctification, justification, predestination, but uh, this week as I was reading, I, I came across a verse that actually seems so practical like for us living today in 2019. And in fact, it's, it's found in Romans chapter 12. Uh, Romans chapter 12, you can turn there. It's also will be on the screen. And Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Well, that's not easy. He goes on to say, do not take revenge, my friends. That's what the English Bible says. So, I looked up what does it say in the Greek Bible. It says the same thing. As long as it pertains to you, do your very best to live at, be at peace with everybody. And don't take revenge. This whole idea of forgiveness begins to arise right here. To be at peace with everyone. In fact, God takes this whole idea of forgiveness really, really seriously. In Mark chapter, uh, I think it's Mark chapter 11, where Jesus is talking, and he says, if you find yourself oh, in a church situation, and, you know, and you're praising, your hands are up, and you're reading your Bible, and you're just soaking it all in, and God brings to mind somebody that's in this room that your relationship is not right with, he says, stop doing what you're doing, put your hands down, stop praying, stop singing, get up and go get that relationship mended. God really takes this whole idea of forgiveness seriously i don't know if you have read or quoted the lord's prayer recently but it says our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors i don't like that okay what i'm praying is okay lord i want you to forgive me like i forgive other people no, that is not what I'm praying about. I don't know about you, but I really desire the forgiveness of God, but I don't want him to forgive me like I sometimes don't forgive other people. And yet that's what we were told to pray. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter just blurts out something. Uh, there's Jesus and the disciples, and he says, Jesus, if somebody sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times? Which, honestly, I really think Peter felt very proud of himself. I actually think his chest puffed out a little bit. Seven times, Lord? I think he thought the Lord would come and pat him on the back, like, oh, good for you, Peter. Because in that culture, rabbis were teaching that if you forgave somebody three times, if they did something beyond that, you don't have to worry about it. Because you did what you were supposed to do three times is all you need to forgive somebody, and then you don't have to forgive them anymore. And so I'm sure when Peter says, Lord, <laughs> buttons up his little suit coat, seven times, Lord, I really think he thought he was blowing Jesus out of the water. Wow, Peter, you are getting it. You're so mature in your faith. You double it and you added one. But you know what happens in that particular passage? Jesus blows everyone else out of the water. Because he says, no, no, Peter, not seven times. Seven times, 70 times. See, if Jesus said, well, no, Peter, 10 would be good, 20. If he had said 50, we'd be like, oh, my goodness, how can I do 50 times? Oh, my goodness, I can't. But he's 70 times 70, 490. In other words, Jesus is saying, we don't keep track. We're not to keep track how often we forgive. Now, I realize that some of the messy relationships we find ourselves in are really hard. I, I understand. 
And that's why some people would say, I cannot forgive because it's too big to forgive. Well, honestly, all the more to forgive. And we'll talk about that. You know, some people say, well, you know what? I just don't want to deal with it. You know, time will heal it. And I just won't deal with, with it. I don't know about you, but I actually know people who haven't dealt with something. I've seen it in families, siblings. I've seen it between parents and children. Haven't talked to each other in 10, 20, 30 years. I know one person, they live across the street from each other and they haven't spoken. So time does not always heal things. You know, it would be like if you had a cancerous tumor and you say, well, time will heal it. We'd go, that's, no, that's crazy. Time doesn't heal a cancer. And if you were to let it just the fest every time someone bumped into it, you go, oh, that hurts. Well, that's the way it is when we don't, when we don't forgive. Sometimes we'll say, well, I would forgive somebody if they came to me first and said, I'm sorry. That was something that God had to deal with me last year because there was something really stirring up inside of me and I really, like, like every fiber of my being, my whole DNA, DNA said, that person needs to come to me and ask for forgiveness. They have done me wrong. And I remember just, I said, no, I'll just wait. I'm going to wait patiently. Lord, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait till they come to me. And after about a year, they weren't coming. And I remember I, I felt this strong conviction. No, Donald, actually, you need to write a letter. But me? Why would I write the letter? I haven't done anything wrong. And, and I remember God saying, you need to write a letter asking for forgiveness. What? Me? Lord, remember, I didn't do anything wrong. I said, no, Lord, you need, Donald, you need to write a letter say, I'm sorry for harboring something in your heart against this person. Well, that I didn't know was true. I was harboring something. And so I remember just thinking, but Lord, as I'm writing the letter, I'm just thinking, but I shouldn't have to do this first. It should be somebody else coming to me. Uh, T.D. Jakes, I think it was, that said, when you don't forgive, when you withhold forgiveness, what it happens, it actually allows bitterness to grow. And I know that to be true because over that last year, it just kept eating away at me. And, and he goes on to say, it's like drinking poison and thinking it's going to hurt the other person. You think because we are not, I'm not willing to forgive, you think when we withhold that, the other person is going to suffer. No, no, no. It's you who actually, where the bitterness churns inside of you. Now, some people say, well, I cannot forgive because I can't forget what happened to me. Well, you will never forget it if you don't ever start the process of forgiving. Forgiving is really the beginning of healing. Some will say, well, if I forgive them, I mean, isn't that like they could do it again? Right? Unforgiveness punishes everyone in the path. In fact, it cuts a path of destruction. And as followers of Jesus, those of us who here this morning who would claim, say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, we should know more than anyone what it is to be forgiven. You know, sometimes, you know, as Christians, we forget actually how bad we once were. <laughs> sometimes, I, I, 
I'm guilty. Sometimes I think of myself as a, a little sinner. <laughs> but then I read the Bible and it talks, oh no, Donald, actually you were a big one. In fact, that's why I had to send someone. That's why I had to send my son. See, when you were still enemies of mine, I wanted to forgive you. So I went ahead and, and sent someone. There are also lots of consequences for unforgiveness. I feel like when we don't forgive, and I'm going to use myself as an example, I feel like you build your own private torture chamber. Who is suffering? It's you. In fact, there were times when I felt like I'd locked the door and thrown away the key. I built my own chamber to suffer in. That's what unforgiveness can do. Because what happens, you relive it over and over and over again. Uh, obviously, unforgiveness can affect your health. Lots of studies have been done with that. Stress level goes up, high blood pressure skyrockets it. So the question I would ask you today, in some of your messy relationships that maybe you're experiencing today, who is it that you need to forgive? Spouse? An ex-spouse? A parent, a child, a sibling, an employee, a church member. Unforgiveness it really is like, like a cancer. And some will say, well, if I forgive them, isn't it like I'm enabling them to do more? No, not so. Well, if I forgive them, isn't it like I'm, I'm rescuing them again? No, not so. If, if I forgive them, aren't I like setting them free? No. You're actually setting yourself free. See, forgiveness makes no human sense. Let's just be honest. When someone hurts us, to forgive them in our own human mind does not make sense. No, they need to come to me first, and then maybe we can deal with it. That's kind of human logic. That's human uh, wisdom. But God has a different way of saying it. He said, no, no, no. Actually, you forgive for the mess that this relationship has gotten in. Even if you haven't done wrong. That's the part that seems weird to me. Even if you haven't done the wrong, be willing to forgive. In fact, I think it's John 13, 17 that Jesus says, happy are you, blessed are you when you know what to do and you actually do it. I I, I really believe this to be true. That sometimes a simple offer of forgiveness can solve a lot of messy situations that we find ourselves in today. Earlier I said, you know, some relationships or some messy relationships maybe are unavoidable. You know, some of those family dynamics, they're, they're just always going to be there. But there are some I think that you can avoid. I think there's some things that you can avoid turning some relationships to get really, really messy. A man named Paul, a lot of us would call him the Apostle Paul, if there was ever a man who had the right, I think, to be bitter, to let bitterness rise inside of him, it would be Paul. So mistreated, beaten, stoned, a castaway, in prison, like, if anyone should allow some bitterness to grow up inside of him, it would be Paul. 
And Paul, while he's in prison, actually writes a letter to a group of believers that are in a city called Ephesus. And, and I think he gives some really interesting insights about life, about messes uh, that we find ourselves in. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, actually. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to just pick it up. Now, remember, Paul's writing this. His, he's, he's in prison. I feel like he's, his, his letter should be saying, I have been treated, I've been dealt a wrong deal. I, I, I shouldn't be here. You know, get a group of people together and petition the government to get me free. No, that's, that's it's so interesting. That's not what he does. A man who's been mistreated in prison writes this in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. Think about that. He says, be very careful how you live. And he goes on to say, not as unwise, but as wise. One of the things that wise people know is life is all connected. That is, that our present will one day be our past, and often our past will show up in our future. It's really connected. And so Paul is saying here, be careful how you live. Be wise, and don't be unwise. Then he goes on to say, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He says, take advantage of every opportunity. It's like uh, time is a currency. It's limited and it's valuable. And so the question I think Paul is saying, so invest your time, don't just spend it. Invest your time. He says, the days are evil. And I, when I read that, I was like, I was kind of chuckling. I thought, okay, Paul, you know nothing about evil. In my mind, I'm, here we are 2,000 years later. No, Paul, we know what... The dark side is. You know, sometimes I think maybe as Christians, we, we think, oh, the good old days when, you know, leave it to beaver was on and no one swore and everyone wore all their clothes on those old shows. Those were the good days. But here the Apostle Paul is saying the days are evil. And I, I, I began to think that about the culture he's talking about. You know, the, the Canadian culture is, is almost Christianized, actually, compared to the culture that, that the Apostle Paul is talking about. I mean, here in Canada, we know. We know it's wrong to abuse a child. We know it's wrong to, to mistreat women. We, we know it's wrong um, to not treat a foreigner Right. We would know how to treat a minority group. I mean, that's kind of the culture that we've grown in. That's not the culture that Paul has grown up in. See, for a woman to be abused, well, nobody would even bat an eye in his day. You know, if someone killed a foreigner that happened to be in their country, nobody's going to question that. In fact, they were sacrificing their own children 
And so the Apostle Paul says, the days are evil, so invest the time that you have. And it just kind of reminds me about culture. Culture always is flowing, and there's always an undertow to the culture. And if you give in to culture, what's going to happen? You will, it will take you places that you never thought that you would go. And if you go with the flow of the culture, it will affect every area of your life. It will all of a sudden make relationships messy and finances maybe messy or sexual relationships messy. We kind of just go with the flow of culture. And so Paul is kind of addressing that the best you can, right? Redeem the time. The culture that you're living in it. He says, which is very interesting, the Apostle Paul says, do the wise thing. Isn't it interesting that Paul didn't say, do the right thing, don't do the wrong thing. I mean, that would kind of make sense to us if Paul, if Paul had said that. Do the right, what's right, don't do what's wrong. But that's not what he said. He said, do what is wise. Because I think all of us know, there's lots of times we know where the wrong where something becomes wrong, and we like to walk that fine line. I'm still doing what's right. I actually haven't crossed over the line. But that's why I think Apostle Paul says, no, don't do what's right. Do what's wise. And don't do what is unwise. Sometimes we like to get so close, maybe, to sinning, but not cross over the line. And one of the things about culture, it baits you. It baits you. It says, come a little closer. Come a little closer. You're doing okay. You're okay. Come a little bit closer. Come a little bit closer. You know, and, and then I find that once you cross over the line, you know what culture does? Culture says, what a loser you are. For, for instance, may, you know, maybe you're, you know, you've been baited and, and, and you're out with a couple buddies and and, and, you know, maybe you've had, yeah, it's okay to have a couple of drinks, you know, before I go home tonight. And then all of a sudden you maybe had too much. And then all of a sudden you get caught for drunken driving. And all of a sudden you've crossed over the line. And like, oh, culture is, oh, what a loser. I said, that's what culture does. It baits you. Come on, get to the edge. Get a little closer. It baits you. The thing is, though, when, cul when culture allows you to cross over the line, and it just mocks you. You see that all in all through Hollywood. When you see sometimes some of these relationships, everything's fine and dandy. All of a sudden, someone crosses the line, and they're like, "Ooh, what a loser!" But up until that point, keep coming my way. And drama and messy relationships always be traced back to an unwise decision every time your regrets your unhealthy lifestyle can always be connected to an unwise decision so i think that's why the apostle paul says do what is wise not what's right do what is wise so here's the question in light of my past experience what's the wise thing for me to do in light of my past experience not what's the right thing, what is right or wrong, what's the wise thing for me to do? Hmm. 
in my past, I've made some really bad decisions when I was. I better not get close there again. I know the last time when I was out on a Friday night with the buddies, hmm, I drank a little too much. So maybe going with that group again is not, not that it's wrong, but that might, that might not be the wise thing for me to do. Every time I, I get invited to go up to his apartment, I know what happens. Is it wrong to be in someone else's apartment? No. But what's the wise thing in light of my past experience? I know that when I'm in those situations, I get so close and then I go over the line. That's why Paul says, no, I'm not asking you what to do right and wrong. What is wise? In light of my past experiences, I know, you know, maybe you're saying, I'm a compulsive buyer. So in light of my experience, my past experience, I leave my credit card at home. Is it wrong to carry your credit card? No. But in light of your past experience, the wise thing might say, you need to leave that at home. In light of my past experience, you know what? I, I, I don't think I'll call her tonight. Because I know what happened the last time I did. Here's another question you can ask. In light of my current circumstances, okay, in light of my current circumstances, what is the wise thing to do? I just got divorced, so that might not be the wise thing for me to do. I'm in my first semester of university, so that might not be the wise thing for me to do. Those are questions that we can ask ourselves. In light of our past experiences, what's the wise thing for me to do? In light of my current circumstances, what's the wise thing for me to do? And then, in light of all my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Not, not asking, what is wise for everybody else? No, what's wise for me? I have dreams and I have aspirations, and, and knowing those, what's the wise thing for me to do? So things don't get messy. Because life is all connected. Our present will one day become our past. And so often our past will show up in the future. And so that's why the Apostle Paul says, what's the wise thing? Re really is, what's the story I want to tell about my life? The good news about messy lives and, and messy relationship that it's not just you and, and me. It's, it's, it's all of us. In fact, it's, it's mess that brings us together. And one of the things that I'm learning, I, I'm not good at this, but one of the things I'm learning as a follower of Jesus, as someone who claims to be a Christ follower, a Christian, is I'm really trying to learn to be more of a student than a, a judger. Because sometimes it's so easy to look at someone's messy life and go, oh, yeah, well, you know what? That's a mess. And we're so quick to judge. And then all of a sudden we hear the story behind the story and we're like, oh, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. 
I, you know, I, I've met people, you know, having darkened the doors of a church for years because they've been hurt, and we go, come on, get over it. And then you hear their story, you go, oh, no, I, I get it. I, I, I understand where you're coming from. And so, as a follower of Christ, to learn to be a student and not always judging when we, when we know the story behind the mess that God would give us a heart of compassion. Can you imagine if that was actually the reputation, reputation of the church? Because I think we do have a kind of a, a reputation of judging. Some of it we deserve, I think, but not all of it. But that can be. And what, what, what kind of impact could we have if we get more students of people's messy lives instead of judging? Here's another thing I'm starting to realize. When, when life gets messy, when relationships get messy, so oftentimes we need someone else to come alongside of us and help us. That's why when we talk about our mission statement, you know, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. We need one another. How many times have I been in a mess and I needed somebody to come along and grab me and pull me out of my mess? You know, maybe you've been a person who's come along and helped somebody of a mess. Maybe you've been in a time in your life when you needed someone to pull you out of your mess. And the mess, our messy lives, messy relationships, all those kind of things, that's what brings us together. And it's that same mess, actually, that brought God very near. For God so loved the messy world that he gave his only begotten son for the messy world, that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God looks down and says, I'm going to send my son down there and he's going to address the mess. And he did. In fact, that's what we celebrated last weekend. God sent his son to address the mess that we find ourselves in. And he offered us a new way of dealing with the mess in our life. So here's my question to you. How's your relationship with others? Is it messy? And if it is right now, what needs to change? What needs to change for you? And then I want to follow up with this question. How's your relationship, not just with others, but how's your relationship with God? A little messy? Something need to change? You know, I think maybe for some of us, we've done a really good job maybe coming here this morning, and we kind of look pretty spiffy, and we just kind of keep people at arm's length so they don't too close so we look like we're not messy. And yet you know down deep inside the relationship you have with God right now has not been good. So what needs to change? And then there's probably some people here today, if you're really honest, you've never had a relationship with God. And so, what needs to change for there to be a relationship with God? You know, the Bible says that it's amazing some of the things it says 
how it affects our everyday life, but it affects our eternity when he says, if you call on the name of the Lord, your life changes. Like that. In the blink of an eye. When we call out to Jesus. When we just are willing to admit, you know what, God, my life is a mess. It is so messy. I can't even do a thing with it. I need you. I, I, I really believe when you call in the name of the Lord, all of a sudden, things can change. Maybe it changes how you deal with the mess in your life now. But I would encourage you today, if your relationship with, is messy with God today, let's get that settled before you leave here. You know, maybe you need someone to pray with. Hey, that's what we're here for. Or maybe you're here and you just don't have any relationship. We would love to introduce you to the greatest relationship ever known to man or woman. And that's a relationship with God. Because when we're in relationship with God, and we come to Him and we ask Him for the forgiveness of our sin, He does. Like He does. And He comes and He indwells us. And then then the things really do change how we deal with the mess in our life which is what i said easter was all about jesus coming to live and die among us so that we may have a new way of dealing with the mess that so often we find in our lives let's pray